This episode of the Hubcast is brought to you by Impact Plus. If you don't know, now you know. App.impactplus.com. to the Hubcast. I have my favorite HubSpot fam with me. Let's just go down the line. Steph, welcome. Thank Great you. Hello you. again. <laughs> Great to hear your voice. Nick Bennett. What's up? It's good welcome to be back to the Hubcast, Mike. It's always good. And we have a new voice today. It is Jess Palmieri. Jess, welcome to the Hubcast. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for the invite. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Jess, and just ask you to give the elevator pitch of who you are and what you do with us here at Impact. Oh, man, you did not tell me this was going to be required. I was just told to show up to this meeting. What the heck? (laughs) I know. Uh, (laughs) Well, if if you're going to hold my feet to the fire, my name is Jess Palmieri. I am a HubSpot certified trainer here at Impact. Uh, I have been with Impact for a little over a year and a half now, but I have been a HubSpotting person since 2013. So I have been around a portal or or two in my day. And I am just really jazzed to talk to my clients every day about HubSpot and how we can help them maximize their investment in the tool. And I'm really excited to talk to all of you about the same thing today. It's true. I can vouch for all of that. It's very true. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, And uh, fun fact that Jess and I always like to share with everybody is that we just randomly as fate would have it met each other a few years ago before Jess worked at impact through our significant others watching a Penn state game. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's history. It doesn't from get there. more. We were brought together. It doesn't get more. Serendipity <laughs> it's one of those things that. where, especially like, I feel like at the time that we met Jess, like HubSpot is a much bigger now Mm -hmm. and has a lot more customers now but at the time that we met it was one of those things where like when you said that you worked in marketing and then I said that I worked for a HubSpot agency and like it was like our eyes met and we just like had this like understanding of each other immediately it was so funny well the context you're leaving out is that our eyes met across a crowded room full of like aerospace engineers (laughs) both of our significant others work in aerospace and so it was just all of these people talking engineering and math and all those fun topics. And then it was like, you, I found you, my one true HubSpot soulmate, someone who understands me yes. in this kind of space. So I will forever be grateful that I had someone to talk to at that HubSpot watch or that Penn State watch party. The yes. HubSpot watch party. <laughs> yes. It became a HubSpot watch party. It did. Oh man. That's, that brings me back. Like I can literally like see that conversation in my head of like talking to you in my kitchen. That's so fun funny. And I actually, I'm excited too, because later on in the show, I want to talk about like HubSpot back in the day. So this is like perfectly fitting. It's perfect. But first I got something I want to tell you guys about that is certified dope.
I got Brie from Applied Educational Systems. Brie, Nick, you know this. I know all of you guys know this because AES has been around in the Hubcast community and the Impact community for a long time. Bree and Jim is also just an amazing leader. We love those guys so, so much. And I recently, like this week, caught wind from one of our content trainers, Jolie, about one specific thing. And I just had to call them out on this and specifically call Bree out. So one of the things that AES, Applied Educational Systems, has been working on recently is their pricing pages. So, you know, they're they're big, they ask you answer fans, and they were working on pricing pages for a long time, but they were kind of hidden on their site. And so one of the things they've been working on is bringing them to the forefront. And one of the things that included was actually putting it into the navigation. So front and center, here's our pricing. Also just making the pricing more clear, communicating more clearly about how much it would cost. So they've been making all of these optimizations. And Jolie was looking at some of the metrics from those pages specifically. And they have seen from this time last year, year to this year, a 10x increase in traffic to those pricing pages. And that's big for them year over year because they're a very seasonal business being in education. So they've seen this 10x increase and they have specific revenue now that they're able to attribute to those pricing pages because they're tracking their revenue in the CRM, something we've been talking about on the Hubcast a lot this year. So I am just so fired up. It's one of those things that, you know, it's all happening in HubSpot and it's not necessarily a HubSpot specific thing that they did, but they have used a lot of the HubSpot platform. I mean, they're, they're used the CMS, their whole site is on it and they're able to get those analytics to see that these changes that they're making, it's not just like, oh yeah, Marcus Sheridan said to put pricing on your website and that I have to do it. So I'm just checking the box. They're able to do it, look back at the metrics and see like, yeah, this is really driving not only traffic, which is obviously important and good, but actual real revenue dollars and specific deals. So Bree, Jim, the AES team, you guys are indeed certified dope. They're crushing it. They're just crushing it. They're crushing it. I love, I love, makes me happy. I loved working with them. I've worked, I've worked with them for a couple of years and they were crushing it back then and they're still crushing it now. And I think they live, (laughs) they live the HubSpot, like the HubSpot dream, right? Like the whole, the way that like HubSpot integrates with so many other tools and it like, although you can like live almost entirely inside of HubSpot, like their sales tools, they're, they're using Salesforce and they integrate it in the HubSpot. They're using Intercom for their customer service and they integrate it in the HubSpot. And they're like, they're just doing, they're living the HubSpot dream, right? Mm. And they're tracking all their, their deals inside HubSpot, getting the influence revenue, reporting on ROI of all of their marketing, looking at how their support team uses all their, all their content and looking at how their sales team does it. It's just like, it's beautiful. It just brings a Marcus-shaped tear to your eye. Right. And with 
with attribution reporting now with revenue attribution, like they're literally able to look at, you know, where people are seeing those pricing pages in their journey. And then, you know, using the different attribution models can literally see, you know, what pages, including their pricing pages are actually influencing real life money, which is just the best. This makes me happy. Brings an orange smile to my face. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Great job, Bree. Great job, AAS team. Keep on keeping on. Agreed. Agreed. All right. I'm going to stir the pot. This week, HubSpot let everyone know that the old workflows engine will be retired on January 8th. And any workflows currently built on the old engine will be turned off automatically on January 8th. So this is a word to all of you uh, who are listening to this, if it's before January 8th, 2021, to get into your portal and make sure that none of your crucial workflows are affected by this. you probably got an email and a notification in your portal to clone any of your old workflows to the new workflow engine so you can keep them running. You definitely want to get in there and check that out. But my question though is, as you're doing this, should you really should you really clone all of your workflows on the old engine? Before we dive in, can I just say January 8th is my birthday and having all of my clients <laughs> see the simultaneous notification that their workflows are in danger was just the best birthday <laughs> gift of all time because that imp- that notification hit their inbox and then all of their emails hit my inbox. <laughs> what does this mean? So I would just like to say for the record, before anyone freaks out, most likely very few of your workflows are affected by this change. It's just for those, you know, super old workflows, the very back of the skeleton closet (laughs) that you haven't looked at or seen in a while. And when you actually click on the notification in your portal, you'll see it's like maybe five, 10, a dozen. Yeah, it's like 16 for impact. Yeah. And we have a lot of- (laughs) We have like 800 we have 400 used workflows and 239 unused workflows but i think it's important to know right like all of these workflows that are affected are like the majority of them are before 2018 like i think we have maybe six to ten in from 2018 that's the point we had to make that's the point we had to make with our team because like to just this point, everyone's like, our workflows are in danger. Oh and no. I'm a no, subscriber property equals yes. <laughs> no. Christmas is ruined. And then Everything. like, I looked at them and it is a clear, there are two categories that our workflows fall into. One is, hey, these things are so old and they are still on because they still rank and they deliver an asset that people download from a form from something that ranks well. And in a lot of cases I looked, we have updated the offer. We just hadn't touched the workflow in so long because we updated the file. So, okay, I'll let those slide. And then a lot of them are just off. Like they're not even being used. Uh, And so we're, we talked about what we need to do because some of them are just there for, we want to look back at them for metrics. 
And we got to thinking, well, if we clone them, then all of the metrics are going to go away. So where do we export? Like, do we export the workflows and log the analytics? Um, and then we took a closer look and said, do we even care? But the initial panic <laughs> was like 15 people jumped in my workflows, my workflows. I was like, none of you even worked here when these were built. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. I love it. It's like, but I wanna... it's like, what are you going to do with the, take your social media to the next level? Like workflow that was created in 2012 like this and i always like joking about inbound of yesteryear but like this is quite literally like a time machine that takes you to this moment where you're like wow this is really what inbound marketing was all about of like gating oh, a yeah. pdf gating this hilarious pdf of like these things and and that's that was generating leads right like that's what it just was. seeing the titles of them too I know, it's, it's amazing cool. but but it's true and, and people who have vcs and hubspot portals who are getting these notifications and have more than three workflows that they'll probably be looking at. We'll get to look back at the wonderful and hilarious things that they did in the last 10 years. So to recap, there are two really key points that I want to draw everyone's attention to. Number one, if you do want to keep your workflows, it's really not that hard. So don't email yeah, your don't marketing manager out. saying, yeah, everyone, no, no panic here. No panic here. We're all calm, cool, and collected. Just clone your workflow. You will lose the analytics. But to Stephanie's point, do we care? I think that people have a lot of emotional attachment to previous campaigns and those analytics. And oh, we really need to know how this trade show performed in 2016 because we want to see if we should go to it again in 2021. But the truth is that year over year, and if you know, 2020 is not the perfect example of this. I don't know what is, but marketing changes, yeah. strategies change, approaches well, change. Well, and even looking so, at these old workflows, like a lot of what we used workflows for at the time was to deliver an asset. Do you really care what the open and click rate on is an email? what the open and click rate is on an email that is solely meant to deliver a PDF? Of course, they're going to open it and click it. Literally, yeah, they're, they're just ready for it. <laughs> Mm -hmm. They said specifically, please send me the PDF. <laughs> please give me this email that I will open and click. Like that was the purpose of this. So, and I'm not, I don't think that they're going to delete. Well, they the are. Workflows. They are. Yeah. Let me double check the. Uh, okay. I thought they were just automatically going to get yep, turned nope, off. They're going to delete them. Oh, okay. So you're going to lose it. We like to joke about it, but Jess is right. Right. Like this is funny to look back in this time capsule of marketing of uh, marketing managers past, right? But it's pretty easy to clone them if you do need to keep them, but a great opportunity to clear out some old junk that you may not need um, and sunset exactly. some old campaigns and stuff like that. Portal, portal, uh, Mari Kondo, your portal, I think is what, yes. what they call it these days. The kids are calling it. Do it. It'll Jess make you feel it. good. It'll make you I, feel good in your heart. You'll sleep it'll better. It'll spark joy. Yeah, it'll spark yes, joy. I have so many, so many com uh, conversations with clients about what I like to call digital. Junk. Say, were they con conversations? That was too. I'm not even sorry. <laughs> yeah, you did too. Does easy. does this digital junk give you joy? Is it really worth keeping? The answer is probably no. And that is, that, that's the heart and delete it. 
Yes. Yes. Thank you. The hard Thank truth you we need to hear today. Delivering this downloadable infographic in 2014. But I, yeah, <laughs> I agree. It's it's time to for any of those workflows and like sort your workflows whether they're on the new engine or the old engine because HubSpot did migrate a lot of workflows over and for whatever reason I don't know what it was but they just couldn't get everything over so sort your workflows by last modified or last updated because you'll probably see if you've been using HubSpot for a long time there's a lot of workflows that haven't been touched in a long time and some of those are internal process stuff you know whatever that's fine Um, but now is a great time to just do a little bit of Marie Kondoing, do a little bit of looking at like, oh, this is like a nurture workflow. Like you'll probably find like nurture workflows from five years ago that you didn't even know were still running. And, and you may just want to, you know, revamp those, update them or archive them anyway. Karina can put the link in the you know? show notes, but if you don't have the email or the alert in your portal anymore, you can view specifically the ones that are at risk of being deleted. It's just like, app.hubspot.com slash workflows, your portal ID view, and then classic workflows. And that'll bring up like specifically those workflows. And you know what you should do with Karina's sorting technique? You should probably do that once a yeah. year. Like put an event on your calendar for, you know, January 8th, maybe. Hol- yeah. January 8th, 2022. <laughs> and just say once a year on Jess's birthday, you're going to go in and clean out your portals and clean out all those workflows and it's going to be Jess's best birthday gift every single year. Mm-hmm. I love it. So Jess's email is jpalmeri at impactplus.com. Yeah. Please email her with all of your workflow questions. She'd love to hear from you. Oh my God. I hate you, Nick. <laughs> so speaking of reminiscing about the olden days of HubSpot, it's time for, remember that one time? One time. take a little bit of a different spin on this so on our last episode Steph and I were talking about remember that one time we thought uh, doing something at inbound was a good idea that wasn't actually a good idea like we're already switching it up after one edition of remember that one <laughs> we're gonna switch it up yeah well it's just a little bit of a different spin mm-hmm. on it which is like remember that one time you started to use HubSpot <laughs> For some reason recently, I've been reflecting a lot on how much HubSpot has changed since I started using it. I started using it in 2016 when I started working at Impact. Um, I don't know why I thought it was before. Jess and I were both before you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think people assume things about me (laughs) that probably aren't true. We we do. (laughs) In terms of my HubSpot usage. But yeah, I started using it when I started at Impact was in the summer of 2016. Um, So I want to reminisce a little bit here with you guys. I want to know, like, what's the first thing? Like when I, when I say like, remember when you started using HubSpot for the first time, like, I want to know what's the first thing that pops into your head, what you remember about the platform. And, And part of the reason I've been thinking about this is I have been working on optimizing a blog article that I wrote 
in 2016 when I first started working at Impact, which was HubSpot for beginners. <laughs> it was something like starting your HubSpotting journey. And so it was sort of my view on like my, me getting started with HubSpot. And it literally was walking through the HubSpot navigation at the time and all of the big like nav items and what all of the tools were, which at that point was only marketing hub, like even the term marketing hub, I don't think existed. It was just HubSpot and it was just marketing tools. Yeah, it was just HubSpot. Um, and I don't think the sales tools really were a thing at that point. Um, and there was all these old screenshots of the platform. <laughs> and I just like, it, it brought me joy. Yeah. Speaking of sparking joy, yeah. like, it brought me so much joy to just think about that. Um, and to specifically think about like how far the platform has come, um, really in the last, I would say two years, even there's just been so much crazy product development. Um, but that's my, my first, like, I would say, uh, recollection of using HubSpot is the social tools because that's what I came on like starting to do right away is publishing <laughs> social posts for other companies and the blogging tools and using specifically like the optimization tools in the blog to make sure that I like, you know, optimize the alt text and images and all of that stuff. Oh, what's, what's funny is back. I started in 2012, which just, were you 2012 or 2013? Yeah. So like around the same time. And I also remember my first memories are the blogging tools, specifically optimization and the social tool, which at the time was called the social inbox. And I Mm -hmm. I specifically remember at inbound when they launched the social inbox in 2013. And I was like, so happy to never have to (sighs) go into every individual social because like I'll forever be the person who graduated from college at a time where digital native millennials had to do social media and I hate it as you all know. So I like, I remember being stoked for the social tools. And then I had, um, if you're an avid follower of HubSpot and the Hubcast, you've probably heard of Sam Malikarjanan who works for HubSpot. At the time he was working for a VAR, a value added reseller, which was the old name for partner agencies in Nashville. Um, I think it was inbound marketing solutions was their name. And he was teaching me to use the blog tool. And his whole thing was like blogging is like jogging. Like you have to do it consistently, even if you don't want to, even if it sucks, like just get the blog posts out every time that you have a deadline. And so I remember being spending a lot of time in the blog tool first and getting to know Sam who helped me go to inbound for the first time in 2013. So it was like all, all about the blogs. (laughs) I love that. Karina, I like that you brought up the navigation because, so I started using HubSpot somewhere like in the middle of 2017. And it was right when HubSpot changed or was like about to change their nav for the first time in product like mm-hmm. history. I know it was a big deal. One, and I was probably using People it for a few freaked. months. I know. And like that, it was like such a pivotal, pivotal moment because it was like, whoa, they update this thing all the time because I only used it for a few months and like all this stuff was changing. And like, if and I was just pulled them up on Wayback Machine and I looked up at July of 2017 and HubSpot, there was no hubs. It was the growth stack. It's like, that yeah. was like the HubSpot that like inbounded me that like sold me on this, which is like kind of wild when you scroll through and like the, the old UI and they're like, look, you can use templates now. 
<laughs> and it's just like this, like, it's just wild. It is Yeah, wild. I remember the when the sales tools came out, it was just like there was a drop down where you could toggle and it would change the whole nav. Like yeah. you would toggle between the marketing hub and the yeah. sales hub. And yeah. Oh, I forgot the about sales that. sales tools in the nav versus the marketing I tools. forgot yeah. that they were like totally separate products. Like they weren't, they were the yeah. same product, but that was, that was when HubSpot realized, I think that they were like, we need a better way for objects to inter- interact with each other. Cause like that was yeah. their only other object at the time. Do you remember um, the keyword tool? Yeah. Oh. Google would give them or like allowed public access to keyword, like volume, like search volume and HubSpot could show you that info. And shortly after for I, free, it was just there. It was just like a yeah. thing. It was just like, yeah, you could put it in the competitor. Yeah, you tool. could see like this person was generated from organics, like from organic search from this keyword. You'd be like, this yeah. dumb person, Google, yeah. how do I? <laughs> but the, the best part is, is that you could also, and I, they, I think they have a different version of this now, but the competitor tool where you could just plug in like everyone's domains, like anyone you, anyone that you considered a competitor, just plug it in there and it would just spit out all of their data for you. Like you didn't have to, mm-hmm. you didn't have to like dig deep through other tools like SEMrush or whatever, Ahrefs or anything like that to like pull up competitors traffic and keyword densities and all that stuff and now and it was it's just it's a different time it's a different time mm. what was 2013 like jess oh what man I, like have, I feel like i have a really unique hubspot origin story and i am so excited <laughs> to share it with you all so i was a fresh out of graduate school like new hire at this startup and we were on pardot when i started. oh i'm so sorry <laughs> so we were on Pardot and uh, again, 2013, uh, and my uh, leadership at the time wanted to make a serious investment in marketing and marketing automation. So they went to a partner agency or what was the name for them back Var. then? Would they? A VAR. <laughs> and we were sold hook, line, and sinker on HubSpot. So in October 2013, we made the switch. And again, I'm on the job for like six to eight months at that point. And my direct manager at the time, he went to uh, South Africa on an African safari for a week. And we were in the midst of making this decision. He's like, don't worry when you get back, you know, we'll, we'll deal with this. So he leaves the country and is completely unreachable. On Monday, the CEO of my company comes into my office and says, we're pulling the trigger, start downloading as much data as you can from Pardot because by Friday we are switching over. You're not incurring the cost of another subscription with Pardot. You're going to HubSpot. Classic. So it was, a, it was a mad dash to download as much Pardot data as possible and just sort of prepare with this brand new agency that we were partnering, partnering with to launch HubSpot. And I'm BCCing my boss, who I, was, I had assumed was you know in, in the loop on this, who's again, currently in South Africa. And by Friday, I had downloaded as much as possible as I could think of from Pardot. And we were ready to, I don't know, upload the HTML files of the email templates into a new platform. Oh I don't, gosh. I don't know what the heck, I don't know why we needed the data. It was just, I was young and I was told to get it. So I started yeah. downloading stuff. And then on Friday, I got a text message from him while he was still in South Africa saying, why do I have all these emails from you? What's going on? <laughs> no one had told him that we were making this. Oh my gosh. So 
it was a surprise CRM change that he got back to from vacation, which is the best kind of CRM. Yeah, I'm sure you got to know HubSpot real quick then. Well, what happened was, so we were in one of those um, dependent agency relationships where the agency was managing everything for us. And me being the youngest person in the totem pole, they were like, well, maybe eventually we might want to do some of this ourselves. So Jess, you go learn this tool that no one else wants to touch. (laughs) So in the first month, I went to a little place called the HubSpot Academy. And this was back in the day when they didn't have like, uh, yeah, it was not a lot of certifications. It was not a lot of like self-service stuff. They had webinars that you could attend. That's right. with, With instructors. And in one month, I attended 40 hours <laughs> of webinars to learn this software that I was told you need to figure out because no one else in this small company is going, going to touch this like you own this. So I just remember sitting on HubSpot Academy webinars all day, every day, trying to learn this tool on my own <laughs> as quickly as possible so I could That's be incredible. my team. So that was my crash course in HubSpot. And I still remember... Nick Sal. Nick, oh yeah, uh, Nick Sal. Yeah, yeah. Shout so out to Nick, Nick Sal, who is Nick still Sal the voice of professor. HubSpot. If you call yep. HubSpot, yes. it, he's still the voice of HubSpot. <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, he was my professor, and I remember that I made a lot of friends in the the like go to webinar chat panes. We would chat. Makes me wonder if we ever do. talked. We, we probably did. Oh, I went to a lot of them. So like if you, if you attended basically any (laughs) HubSpot Academy webinar from like in November, 2013, 2013, I was there. Amazing. Oh my God. That was my, remember that one time. That's so fun. I just, oh, this is like, makes me happy. It's, there's like something about like coming to the end of the year and like, just thinking back and it's like, I'm like, I'm not going to do like the, oh, like let's talk about 2020 and how jacked up of a year it was. We're just going to move on. But thinking back to like the old, the old days of HubSpot, um, it's just, there's like something that's so like nostalgic about it, especially because, and, and we've talked about this before on the Hubcast, you know, the user community has really changed. Like it it used to be a much more tight knit community Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways because it it was a small community. It was a small user base versus now with such a large user, it's just a whole different dynamic. So I feel like there is just like so much nostalgia and like just great memories attached to HubSpot from 2012 to like 2016 2017 it's funny i just looked on facebook too of like my posts containing the word hubspot in 2013 and apparently i posted in december oh my gosh hubspot added style options to landing pages (laughs) thank you for chronicling thank you for chronicling every product update hubspot has ever released since 2013 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I did hashtag delighted. Oh, <laughs> that was back yes. when like it was we were specifically talking all about delighting our customers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I love that so much. Wow. Whoa. The holiday cheer is real right now. All right. All right. Last thing on this. I, I'm <laughs> I'm so I'm so curious as to what HubSpot looked like when I bought it, right? So I clicked through, I'm clicking through the Wayback Machine and I see on June 1st, 2015, HubSpot's full banner. 
HubSpot and Salesforce sign a partnership pact through 2020. For five years, yes. Through 2020, which is, I mean, it, who knew that this day I'd be standing <laughs> at the end of 2020 and clicking back and finding that moment. It's That's pretty wild. Hilarious. Wow. I used Salesforce at the time. So I remember being like, oh, thank goodness. (laughs) I'm saved. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Thanks for, thanks for doing that with me guys. That was, that was good for the soul. I liked it. Here's a, I got a wish list item. That's a a bit of a, a head scratcher. Scratch away. Steph, I, I know that you know, you know this pain I don't, well. I don't know if I know. <laughs> Go on. So when a contact is generated from chat, oh. the original source is set to offline. And you can see that it was generated from conversations, but they're chatting with you on their website. The tracking code is on the site. So what gives? <laughs> and I, I have to shout out Corey uh, from Office Interiors because he emailed me about this uh, recently and was like, uh, what the heck? <laughs> what gives? <laughs> you know, yeah, like what gives? Is there any, you know, like anything I could do about this? And I was kind of like, uh, not really. And there, there is a wish list item that um or a, a community item that i like to call the wish list uh that has been voted up and it actually as of two weeks ago is being reviewed yes by the product team so this is really exciting and if you're using any of the chat features or if you care about us people who are using the chat features get in here and vote it up it's in the show notes impactplus.com slash hubcast. This is episode 266. So there's a link in the show notes that you can go in there and vote it up. So I am excited that this is being reviewed because obviously if you're generating, especially like with chat bots, if you're generating a lot of contacts um, through the bot, it's you're going to want to know where they came from and offline is not where they came from. I know we want to make conversations feel human and real, but like that's taking it a step too far. (laughs) That's as online as it gets. Like put it under other, like do something, but like, don't (laughs) like offline is the exact opposite of what it is. I like that the comment from the product team though, was like, we agree. This is a problem. We're on it. (laughs) Like, okay, cool. Let's, let's get to work. Yeah, I'm all, I'm and it's like one of those things where I know there's a reason, right? Like I know there's a reason why it is that way and I want to know what it is. I at first thought it was you were going to say something about like if the person didn't accept cookies when they entered the site and then tried to chat with you and you don't have GDPR turned on like you can't technically know who they are, but if they're a contact and you know who they are, there's no reason you shouldn't have that as the source. I think because HubSpot conversation, like HubSpot chat, like when they built that out, they were like, oh, Drift and oh, Intercom and oh, every other chat thing in the world is like a different source. They're not us. So then yeah, they released HubSpot true. chat and then they were like, uh-oh. Like, <laughs> Do like, you mean we started just, on how they kind of release of HubSpot conversations because we know we're how We're just going to lump this in with every other chat function, conversation function because 
right. overhauling that is a whole other thing. Yeah, this so there has hunt. to be a good reason why that is the way it is. I'm it seems sure like they're going to change it. But yeah, so I'm happy. We appreciate the product team. Show them and vote it up. I already, I'm literally voting it up as we speak. Same. (laughs) Okay, good. All right. Got a couple of product updates while we wrap up here. First things first, if you were at Inbound or have seen any of the product update feeds recently, you know that they released finally marketing contacts. Dun, dun, but dun. yeah, dun dun dun. <laughs> so this came out in October, and that means that if you have just started using HubSpot since like the end of October, you just have marketing contacts you don't even know about the old pricing model. So you don't really have to worry about any of it. But if you've had HubSpot for any length of time before that, then you have the option to opt into the new marketing contacts pricing. So naturally I went to update our HubSpot cost article this week and I kind of just got into all of the nitty gritty details of how marketing contacts work. So you know, it's something that you're going to want to investigate for yourself because it's it's different. I, I don't feel like we need to go into all of the details of the pricing for starter and pro and enterprise. So the, the pricing varies, but uh, I do want to just talk about from a high level, like how does this work? How do marketing contacts work? Kind of how does the pricing work generally? And then should you switch? So what counts as a marketing contact? Who wants to who wants to jump in on this one? I got it. I got it. Just I got it. Marketing contact is someone that you're actively emailing. So if they're on a distribution list for say like blog notifications or you're blasting them out with some automated emails, they count. Or if you include them in an ads audience. Exactly. <laughs> so if you're wondering like, oh, marketing contacts, does that mean that like I can't have like lists with these people or use them and put them in workflows. No, it literally is in order to include them in your ads targeting with audiences or to include them in a marketing email, whether that's an automated workflow email or a bulk email, if you're going to email them with marketing emails or include them in the in your ads tool, that's a marketing contact. Otherwise, you can mark them as a non-marketing contact. And you can have up to a million non-marketing contacts in your portal. So this is for something free. to really think about for free. For free. And this was the big, this was the big pain, is always a big pain for people getting into like pro and enterprise. Um levels of the marketing hub is okay if i have like sixty thousand contacts because like i have all of these customers or um you know what whatever there's so many reasons why people have all of these contacts that they're not actively marketing to um that i have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for every month um 
I think, you know, even like people that were people that are in the sales process, right. That we're no longer actively marketing to and one-to-one email you know, doesn't count. Well, that's why um, they didn't for get this. It's marketing email specifically. And that's why I think HubSpot is making this huge push upstream, right? Like you said, enterprise level, but also pushing their sales hub tool set, like above and beyond. And a huge point of friction for people moving over was like, I got to pay for all these contacts on my sales teams. Like they're just out, they're generating all these people. I got to pay marketing contacts for them. Um, and when they compared HubSpot sales to other various sales CRMs, they were like, oh, we need to solve for this because we're going upstream. Yep. I think that was the biggest motivator in my opinion. Yeah. And the pricing doesn't look a lot different from the old pricing model in terms of how much you pay for marketing contacts versus how much you were paying for all of your contacts. Um, So what you really need to do is look at, and I know Jess, you've been working with people on this, so you probably have more uh, thoughts on it, but you really need to work, look at like how many marketing contacts and non-marketing contacts do you have, um, to see and what, uh, what level of marketing hub do you have starter pro or enterprise to really calculate out what the price difference is going to be for you. And I think that if you're an existing HubSpot user, the question becomes like, if you switch, what's the you know, universe of possibility? Why would you want to add non-marketing contacts? And I'm thinking through like people who are doing ABM strategies where there's sales teams that are working these target accounts. They have a lot of people in that organization that they're reaching out to. But if you're adding like contact records for say the finance person that might be you know, the decision maker on whether or not they purchase your software or the CEO that may be the decision maker, like you don't want to be sending like here's the latest blog article to maybe the CEO of the company. Maybe there's a, you know, a secondary decision maker in the marketing department who might be much more appropriate for that marketing email that you want to remind them that you exist. But for that ABM approach where you are trying to, you know, assess like the structure of the organization and have different, you know, connected contact records to understand like, who do we need to influence? Who do we need to, you know, close the deal with? Who still has reservations? You want the freedom to add individual contact records for all of those key players, but you don't want to feel like constricted of like, oh, but if I add a contact record for this guy, that's going to take up one more seat in my database. Yeah, I'm not paying. Exactly. So tripped another contact here. That yeah, tripped another contact here. We've all know that story, but I think that that's like a really great use case for you know, what are these non, you know, marketing contacts that could make sense in your database, particularly if you're heavily invested in sales hub. But for those clients, at least that I have that are heavily invested in marketing hub that are wondering whether or not to make the switch, there are some strengths attached that like it's, if it sounds too good to be true, you know, there, there are things that you need to consider, like how often you're assessed for your database size, you know, that's drastically changed. So I, I, I've had this conversation a lot since inbound of everyone wanted to talk to me after inbound about what is marketing contact? Should I switch? And um, I mean, everyone's made their own choices, but I think once you like look under the hood and figure out, you know, what's the apples to apples comparisons, a lot of my existing clients are happy that they can keep the same stripe uh, pricing structure for right now until they invest in those ABM programs, until they invest in 
kind of centralizing more of their data in one database. And a question, yeah. a question I get a lot, and I work in my friends at HubSpot have told us this is that they're going to say, and I bet people listening, they're going to go, but guys, how do I know if I should even bother thinking about this? And this is by far not like the, the full rule, but this is what I've learned working with some people at HubSpot is they're like, if you have anything over like 30, 35,000 contacts, like reach out to HubSpot, talk to somebody about it. anything less than that. You're probably not going to, you're, you're pro it's probably not worth the investment to even to look at it. Most of the time, this is the, this is the rule. There are some exceptions. And I think this is the break even point is at 67,000 contacts from like a pricing structure from the economies of scale that they've set up that with their tier bands and all that stuff. So if you have more than 30,000 contacts in your CRM um, on HubSpot, take a look, uh, talk yeah. to somebody, talk to, talk to Jess, talk to Karina. And talk it's not that Stephanie. you're, you know, the, the pricing is that different. Like, it's not like it's like they increase their pricing so much. It's just sort of like the intricacies of how the pricing model has changed, depending on how many contacts you have and how many of those are marketing and non-marketing, the yeah. numbers change and the price difference potentially changes. So definitely something to check out. I love that use case that you mentioned, Jess, and it's something that comes up, especially with you know, people who want to be able to keep like historical data or who have long buying cycles where they'll have a customer from four years ago that hasn't interacted with them, but like for whatever reason in the product or service that they sell when they need it again or whatever, they come back four years later. And, you know, if you're paying for all of your contacts in your portal, you might end up having to clean out or feeling like you need to clean out all of those old contacts that haven't been engaging with you, even though like there's valuable information there that you might want. So being able to have non-marketing contacts that you can just store and literally just have sitting there um, with all of their nice historical data does make sense for some companies, um, which I think is, is really exciting to one, have that. One thing I've been really considering because I, I was looking at like how often things you, you get the chance to change from marketing contact to non-marketing contact and what our contacts look like. There are so many people that we have stuff on their contact record on their activity that we want to be able to go back and look at, but they no longer work for that company. And that's been mm -hmm. especially true during COVID is so many people have been laid off or lost their jobs. And we know that if we email them, it's going to bounce. We know they're not there and they're not getting it, but we still need that activity record. And we still need the history of the conversations we've had with those people at that organization. So I'm like, how can we maybe use this that way? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of organizations like aren't going to hit a million, the a million contact right. limit, or at least, you know, a lot of the organizations that are currently using HubSpot, I would say. So um, it is a, you know, a potentially for, exactly like what you said, if you, Nick, if you've got 50 K plus contacts and you're not marketing to all of them, it's going to be a really, really nice setup. Um, and, you know, I don't know how they're going to handle it in the future. If you're always going to be grandfathered into this pricing model, or if at some point they're just going to switch everybody over, they haven't said, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if at some point, you know, they, they announce that on this date, everybody's going to 
get switched. So if we hear anything, mm-hmm. we'll, of course, we'll be like, oh my gosh, my contacts. Yeah. My contacts. Oh no. It'll probably be January 8th, 2022. <laughs> oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds okay. like a good day. That's fine. Lock that date in right now. Please. <laughs> I've got two uh, two nice little updates to round us out. One is kind of funny. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of ironic, and it is import your blog into HubSpot using a CSV file. Hey, twenty thirteen, Jesse, ready to go? Oh boy! Yeah, (laughs) this is exactly what it sounds like. And the irony here is that if you were trying to migrate your blog articles from one HubSpot portal to another prior to this, you couldn't do it. Or like it was difficult to do because HubSpot exports your blogs as a CSV. (laughs) So now you can. (laughs) One of our developers, Tim, shout out to Tim, mentioned that when this update came out, he's like, hey, now you can export and import a HubSpot blog. (laughs) So thank you for that, HubSpot. And the last one is you can now add contacts to a go-to webinar with HubSpot workflows. So there's a workflow extension now um, if you're using the go-to webinar integration. So Steph, as somebody who has used different webinar integrations, how big of a deal is this? I mean, it's a huge deal in that obviously the ability to animate, animate, wow, Mm -hmm. automate anything is going to save us time it's going to make it a more seamless end user experience, especially when we're doing more virtual events, more webinars. Um, I mean, that being said, I haven't touched go to webinar with a 10 foot pole in a few years, <laughs> but I'm sure some people have, uh, but having used the zoom integration, I'm assuming this works similarly and it is yeah. super helpful. I rely on it a ton. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I'm sure that GoToWebinar as Zoom and all of the other webinar platforms are getting lots more (laughs) business right now, demand right now. So it's great that we're getting more love on the workflow automation side. Well, guys, this has been a real end of the year treat. If you want to hang out with us virtually join the HubSpot user Slack. There's a link in the show notes, impactplus.com slash hubcast is episode 266. We're hanging out in the HubSpot user Slack. There is our hundreds of other HubSpot users that are also hanging out there. We talk about all kinds of different stuff. We'd love to see you there. And until next time, this is Karina Deffy, Stephanie Baiocchi, Nick Bennett, and Jess Palmieri saying to you, get out there and get after it.